This is Motormania with Damien Reed on the UAE's number one talk radio station, Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome to Motormania, I'm Damien Reed. This is the only interactive car show on UAE Radio. We give you motoring advice, we talk about what's happening in the car world and we let you, of course, have a voice on road safety issues and we'll be keeping you company all the way through until noon. Well, here's a little idea of what is coming up. We're going to see driverless taxis in Dubai from next month and we're also going to be able to ride in them very, very soon as well. We'll also find out how Abu Dhabi is developing its own league of driverless race cars. Yeah, that's right. We've got Dr. Thomas McCarthy in the studio later, and uh, he is the official spokesperson for the Abu Dhabi Autonomous Racing League. The car bosses, well, we're always welcome into our studios. This time we've got uh, Thomas Schultz, the general manager of Gargash Enterprises, who looks after Mercedes-Benz in Dubai and the Northern Emirates. And in a bit, Naz and I will also be joined by Imda Shanjado of Motoring Middle East. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Dubizzle, connect with verified users on the UAE's favourite platform for your buying and selling needs. Yes, this is Motormania, and uh, I'm joined in the studio by uh, Imtashan Giado. Firstly, good morning, Imtashan. Good morning. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Now, you've just told me just off air very briefly, you've got both cars running now. I have both got cars (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which both broke after the last show. And I said, see you guys. And then off I went to the garage. Uh, but actually, second car, I don't think has been revealed. And it's very interesting. No, no, tell me. The boss of Mercedes coming in. It's not a Mercedes. Um, <laughs> I've bought a BMW and a yeah. really ancient one. It's a 2011 Canadian spec car with a manual gearbox and a turbocharged engine and four-wheel drive. It's basically an Audi Quattro. Ancient in your world. 2011, I don't consider ancient yeah. just yet. Wow, 312,000 kilometers 2021. <laughs> okay, kilometre-wise, yeah, we're getting up there. Second engine, doesn't matter. Oh, Do you know what? It's one of the best cars I've ever driven. No really, pressure. yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. Magic to drive. It was kind of... So it's the E40... No, E90. What? E90, so right yes. Yeah. So for the car, no, yes. it's chassis E90. But it was from an era when there weren't too much electronics, and it's very comfortable, it's very quick, it's very composed, and yet you can still have fun on a back road and be comfortable on the highway. There's almost no flaws, apart from the fact that it is a bazillion years old. I consider that peak 3 Series. That was where it was, that was the Not top. Not too big either. That was the top. It's, it, they weren't as good car. as that one. Yeah. Uh, question here is coming from Ibrahim. Uh, and I'll ask both your guys the thoughts on this. What are your thoughts on the upcoming Polestar models, especially the three from Ibrahim? I've driven the Polestar, did like it, but they're still coming through the market. Have you, you've driven them? Not no? yet. I haven't even sat in them, but I think they look amazing. I mean, if you're going to make an electric car, make one with a bit of style that doesn't look aggressive. That's what I like about the Polestars. They look like the yeah. future, but they're not crazy slashes and scoops, etc. That's the thing I like when I drove it. It wasn't shouting to the world, hey, everyone, I'm driving an electric car. It was just, <laughs> it was just a, a premium sort of. luxury car, and it felt nice. Badges are very minimal, which I just personally liked. It sort of blended in with the world, but it was a lovely car to drive. Very IKEA. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very sensible car. Um being the parent company, being Volvo, and they've always been very sensible in what they do. So they, I think it's just a take on the way the Swedish manufacturers yeah. are going. So, you know, we're looking at modern, sleek. Like I said, the Polestar looks really nice. It's priced really well as well. And I'm sure the build quality is there to match. And, of course, I'm assuming it's going to have all the five-star NCAP ratings as well for safety, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there you go, Ibrahim. Uh, now, speaking of uh, electric vehicles, Dubai is rolling out its first round of robo-taxis next month. Five fully autonomous electric taxis operated by uh, General Motors subsidiary Cruise will begin testing on an eight-kilometre stretch in Jumeirah 
Autonomous taxis currently operate in a couple of cities around the world, mostly in the US and in China, and in Dubai is uh, is the next one that is going to implement. Now, uh, uh, I saw the autonomous taxis over in Detroit a couple of years ago, the cruise cars that were coming out here. Interesting. We'll see how that one plays out. Abu Dhabi is also in the autonomous game. We Ride is the company. It's a Chinese autonomous car technology company. They began trialling the robot taxis in the UAE's capital in 2022. The capital will also be home to, get this folks, an autonomous racing league about driverless race cars. How about that? So to tell us all about that, Dr. Thomas McCarthy, the official speaker of the Abu Dhabi Autonomous Racing League, is uh, in the studios with us. Good morning, Thomas. Good morning. Good morning. Great to have you in here. If you do have any questions, do text us in 4001 or WhatsApp to uh, uh, 04871 Great to have you in the studio this morning. Good to have you here. Thank you for the invitation. So firstly, tell me firstly about autonomous racing cars. How does this work? Okay, so we have announced uh, in March of this year that we're going to establish the Abu Dhabi Autonomous Racing League, or A2RL. And we're combining uh, science with uh, racing in order to advance the uh, capacity of autonomy. I guess the big motivation for us is to see, on the one hand, the capability of science, and on the other hand, the ability for consumers to actually accept the uh, outcome of science in order to uh, in order to deliver safety. I mean, one of the things that uh, became apparent over the last number of years is consumers were pushing back against autonomy in in road vehicles. I mean, we were finding situations where people were switching off uh, lane assist and things like this. They were feeling this was uncomfortable for them. And that has caused a lot of problems with OEMs because they're saying, gosh, how can we keep on investing here if consumers don't want these features in our car? So as with the history of uh, motor racing, that's where you trial out new technologies and where you establish their capabilities uh, for consumers. So with that in mind, we thought, well, what what better to do than to actually establish a fully-fledged motor racing league with supercars (laughs) racing? (laughs) I love it. So this is phenomenal. So firstly, I've got so many questions in my mind. Um, so <laughs> firstly, okay, um, have you approached manufacturers, how, is manufacturer involvement in this, and, and what was their response? Okay, so um, we um, have approached and we have developed our car. The car w- is being uh, manufactured by Delara in Italy. Ah, uh, and we uh, visited them uh, a few weeks ago. We did a, did a special on them on Motomania just oh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, I, I was yeah. there myself two weeks ago. It's it's wonderful. The factory. I the, love the place. The, the, yeah. the, did you see the the the, the history the, mu- the the museum oh, there with their cars? Went through the museum. Um, <laughs> we we uh, uh, Mr. Jean-Pierre Delara is actually in the office at oh, 90, wow. 92 years old. He still goes. In every, okay, nearly I'm every jealous day. now, like you guys, <laughs> and took and took the Stradale for a quick run around the block oh, as well. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Fantastic! Oh yeah. But it, we're, we're getting off the subject. We're now going. To, we're becoming <laughs> Delara fans. But tell me about the chassis. <laughs> well, 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 I guess you know, you know, you, they were in the in when you were in the museum, you will have seen the Japan uh, Super Formula car right yes. up at the top, right? Yep. So. The car that we're developing, the EAV24, the Emirates Autonomous Vehicle 24, is built on the basis of the Super Formula 23 car. So ah, okay. in the museum, you would have seen the Super Formula 14 and the Super Formula yeah. 19. But the 23 was just launched in April this year at Fuji. And, yeah. in, and in fact, we are sponsors of the Super Formula uh, series this year. So uh, I, had really? the, I had the honor of presenting the winner at the uh, Fuji Speedway, uh, the first race in April. And I can tell you. Has seen the cars racing was so exciting. So um, we we have now just we have developed. Um, our, you know we have to adapt the car obviously to mm. uh, to, to to drive autonomously, and. Uh, 
that we have done. And um, I, I mean, the obvious question is coming, well, how does a car drive autonomously? What's going on here? So the first thing is, you know, w- we weren't going to start with something that was just some ordinary car going around the track. We wanted mm. to go full belt out. And the only car that's faster in performance in this car is the Formula One car. So this is... This Amazing. Is well, I'm glad you brought that because to give the, some perspective now, I understand Super Formula Car, that's the car that a young guy called Liam Lawson... Uh, was racing in and le- winning the championship, and he's the guy that is racing in Formula One at the moment, uh, standing in for Daniel Ricciardo yeah. at AlphaTauri. And everyone's going, "Where has this guy come from?" Because he hasn't come through the traditional Formula Two, Three, and Twos. He's been racing Super Formula, and he goes, "Well, I've got a handle on this. These cars are powerful, and uh, he's guaranteed a seat in Formula One." Uh, the year after next. So I, these are proper, proper race cars. I saw Liam um, win his race, first race. So, yeah. they, you know, the first weekend they had two races, Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, you know, Liam was part of the, the winning team from the year before. Mm. So he beat his number one driver on the Saturday. Well, you know, things were reversed on the Sunday, but Liam was superb. I met him on the grid before the race. You know, he's such a cool guy. You yeah. Know? And, uh, but that, that, it's an interesting route that you see somebody going from Super Formula jumping right into uh, Formula One, um, yeah. which is kind of exciting for us. I mean, one of the things with Super Formula and us uh, partnering up with them and Delara, you know, Delara was established in 72, Super Formula was established in 73, UE was established, you know, 71. Yeah. You know, the, the, how can all these things come together? It was, it was, it was great. But w- I guess the big thing with the car is like, how do you take this where it's something that uh, an individual drives to something which drives on its own? Mm. And, that, and that is the obviously the research and technological miracle, isn't well, it? Well, come to that in just a few moments, uh, Thomas. Do stay with us. We're, uh, we're going to talk about what it's like to drive on the road on a road full of driverless cars, but also we're going to uh, delve into uh, the, the idea of autonomous racing a whole lot more. I'm Damien Reid, joined by Naz Chowdhury, Ninth Chanjata, and Dr. Thomas McCarthy of the Abu Dhabi Autonomous Racing League. And this is Motormania, Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Dubizzle, connect with verified users on the UAE's favourite platform for your buying and selling needs. Welcome back. This is Motormania. I'm Damien Reid and I'm joined by Indra Chandigata and Naz Chowdhury. And we're also joined by Dr. Thomas McCarthy, the official speaker of the Abu Dhabi Autonomous Racing League. Let's talk about a little bit more about this racing league, Thomas. Now, I've got a question for you as, as a guy who knows nothing about autonomous racing cars but loves racing cars. Is Now, in traditional racing, like it or not, the, the fear of something going wrong and the chance of an accident is a major attraction. It sells tickets because... It's human nature, you know. Motor racing is a gladiatorial sport. If you remove the teeth and claws from the line, then the gladiator wanders around and no one's going to go and watch. So, so, so what's the, what is the attraction for someone to go and enjoy uh, autonomous racing? No, very good question. Um, now, obviously, as with uh, regular motorsports, things can go wrong. I mean, we don't want cars to crashing, but things no. can certainly go wrong. But mm. uh, I guess one of the big uh, challenges is, look, you know, a very large proportion of people that tune into regular racing are following the drivers. You know, I mean, obviously, enthusiasts are following the construction championship, but people are following the drivers. So we recognize that the greatest um, audience is going to be online. Uh, we are going to create a, um, a wow atmosphere at the thing, but the really greatest audience as we go forward will be online. So we're focusing quite a bit on the gamification of this. Mm-hmm. So when you're at the race, um, you're going to see certain things on the track, but you're also going to be able to see certain things online where you're going to have ghost cars racing as well. So mm-hmm. that's going to enhance the, uh, the uh, attraction of the thing. But 
in, in the context of, of, of us pushing forward, we're saying, look, we want to take something which is using uh, racing where you're operating at the um, extreme of friction. Um, and, uh, you know, that's going to, 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 to give us the ability to see what an autonomous technology can do for you. And the attraction for us then of getting people in to see this is to actually become part of it, to understand the science and to understand how this can actually be fun at mm. one level and at another level um, be educational and help people to accept this. But we do, we do accept that there is a challenge making it as a spectacle as you do when you get the regular racing. Is there a group of people upstairs who are monitoring and watching and, and, uh, and effectively working out how it runs? Or do the cars actually think for themselves and go, I need to overtake, I'm going to get into a slipstream here, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a, a tow down the straight. Are these all the process that normally a driver goes through? Are these the processes being done by the computer? Or is there someone upstairs going, right, get that car into the slipstream and, you know. No, that, that's the whole point. This is the car thinking for itself. Wow. Because it's not just the robotics, it's the AI that's in the car. Now, the thinking upstairs, and these are the real... These are cool kids, right? I mean, yeah. where we see this down the road, you, and we'll focus on these. They, these are the programmers. You know, they're there, they're monitoring, and obviously there is a, you know, a, a safety features built in, but they are not driving that car. They, I mean, I found the best thing when I went to see the, the, these people racing before um, is I went into a garage, and you see a mechanics in a garage. They're fixing cars between races. These guys have whiteboards up there, and they're doing their math on the board, yes. right? Incredible. And like, you know, <laughs> and it, th- th- this is the ultimate. I thought it was fantastic. You know, these kids are working out the sums and saying, ah, you know, practice laps. That's what we did. And this, that's what we need to do. So you're helping the cars to think better for themselves. So essentially, is it the algorithm that wins? Yes. So whoever is the best programmer can essentially win the race. That's absolutely the thing. <laughs> this, is, this is one design racing. So and then when it comes to motorsport, like there's so much you have taken to uh, take in, take into account like for example you're in formula one you do a pit stop you know the first lap you need to be careful because the tires need to get warmed up yeah you know you've got a good 15 20 laps depending on if it's a soft medium or hard compound and then towards the end if it's a softer compound you start losing so you need to take into account the fact that you're losing your tires and can you stretch them a bit longer and then you're thinking about now you're in a full tank now you're on an empty tank so the car's a bit lighter therefore the the, the 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 handling characteristics slightly change i mean there's a lot going on in the driver's mind and you're telling me that AI is going to do all of that that's what the programmers have to do and and think about it <laughs> i mean that the guys that's almost the easy part right you you think really? about how, <laughs> how they're going to get the eyes here so yeah. on, on these cars so first off and this is very important these is one, this is one design racing so you know we know in formula 1 that people will do something yeah. in the, the, the construction of the car that's going to be the winner this year, right? Yeah. And even the best driver may not be able to overcome that. These are completely one design. They're all produced to the same spec and we put an autonomy stack on it. And that autonomy stack will have radar, it will have LiDAR, mm. it will have cameras and GPS and all this, a whole lot of sensors on it. So there's a vast amount of data that's coming in. And then what the, the programmers have to do is get the uh, car to intelligently use all that data to optimise performance. So so transferring <laughs> all that technology from motorsport, and as you said before, motorsport always leads the charge in road car technology. And we had a discussion about this, about traditional forms of motorsport before, how it develops road safety and, and, and the, the, car, the things we take for granted in cars today. Let's move this forward to the road car, yeah. and it ties in nicely with the Abu Dhabi announcement about the autonomous taxis that are, or oh, sorry, so here the autonomous taxis that are yeah. running here in in Jumeirah. 
how can that sort of technology work in a taxi on a Dubai street? Well, obviously, this is going to enhance the capability of a taxi to, to take in all of the information that it has and to, to improve the actual performance. But I'd actually push things a bit further. I mean, a lot of the time people are focusing on driverless, driverless, right? Mm. And that's still going to be a small component of the market. The huge component of the market is the cars we all drive. And... If you look at it, you know, fo- safety is a huge focus. We, across the world, we say, how do we do things to get drivers to pay attention, not to do things that are dangerous? How do we do things to make sure that if there is a crash, people don't get badly injured? What we're doing instead is actually saying, how do we put autonomy in there that can optimize the capabilities of the car um, when you can't? So imagine you come to a situation, it's an emergency situation, you, you know, the car could drive you safely out of it, but you don't have the driving skills to do it. Do you want you to be driving or Lewis Hamilton to take over at that stage? So mm. essentially, this is we want to put autonomy in there that has the capacity to override to keep you safe, even in the most extreme circumstances. Yeah. Got a, got a text message in from uh, Gerard. He is asking, he says, how can... Uh, a situation with autonomous taxis work when I saw some a clip the other day of they all got stuck on a roundabout because they were all trying to be nice. That's from Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they're, they're designed to be obviously playing the safe game. Yes. But what happens when you say, okay, I have to get past that car? I mean, how, how, how would that work out? Well, I think this is the problem, you see, that, that exists currently with the driverless technology that's there. They optimise on the safety and uh, they're not intelligent enough to be able to figure out, you know, what you and I can figure out. There are other things in the environment that should influence them to override. So that's what we're doing, you see. Now, so we're not just driving a car, one car around the track at fastest. We're, we're putting more than one car together. So they have to figure out at extreme speeds how to do these things so that's the kind of learning that can then be fed back into production cars is the solution to basically eliminate people from the roads well no <laughs> no but but see this is my point right you know you get this huge focus on driverless driverless you know we started off the the you know your show here you know people love their cars mm. you know if i said in the morning you know you don't need a car anymore no you love cars we're talking about classic cars the beauty of it so we're talking about well how can we keep people with cars and help them to actually get more out of their car and safely so i have one question for you what happens if it rains so there's going to be puddles on the track some parts of the track are going to be dry some parts of the track are going to be wet uh the driving characteristics change sure like they've taken all that into account as well yeah oh the, the variety of sensors that we have on the car are, um, are like well to see equipped. the dampness of the track, like on that level. Yeah, I guess you'd use the same <laughs> sensors that we use for windscreen wipers with the, yeah, the rain yeah. on the drop. No, but that's okay. active rain coming down. down what about yeah. if the track is already waterlogged in more parts? Yeah, but now as you look at traction control systems in modern BMWs, yeah, they, they can account they can for feel that. for that, right? Yeah. yeah. So that is not exactly AI, but they can adapt their algorithm of how they deal with the traction, the friction of the car, and basically design that. So all you have to do is adapt that to racing. I so guess. how big is the computer that runs these things then? It's a big laptop. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty powerful body. And I mean, essentially, you know, the, the cabin where the, the driver sits in has been adapted and that slots in there inside. And that, but there's it? computers off the track that do a lot of the thinking. 
No, they they they, oh. they it, it, it does its thinking on, on in the, the car. car. So yeah. so that that brings in because we're very <laughs> so it's not tethered then basically it's not tethered to a. Operator. I thought it's tethered to some main no, 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 CPU. No no no, no no no. They're sending information back. You know, we can look at it on the screens. We can an- <laughs> analyze performance. Basically. Yeah, we have all the telemetry there. But you know, this car is is a self-contained autonomous. So it opens project. up opportunities for obviously Whoa. to design a car without a driver. So at the moment, using the Delara. Super Formula chassis, yeah. Using the optimizing it with the uh, the, the, the control units stack, yeah. in the in the driver cockpit, but in time, like you won't need mirrors, you won't need, you know, because you'll be able to build the car totally different. You won't need crash cockpits. You won't. You won't need survival cells and, and, and side impacts, which saves weight and that sort of thing. Fantastic stuff, Thomas. <laughs> um, where can we find? Where can we see these cars? Well, we're, well, we're, we're going to be doing a big uh, launch at JTEX in a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, a lot of uh, information on that. And one of the things I want to emphasize as well, because we're really interested in the ecosystem, we're actually also doing a competition for high school students, for STEM students. Okay. So we're, we're doing yes. a, a 1.8 version of a car. And uh, we're going to be having uh, um, students uh, racing these cars uh, around a special track there. So they're going to be doing this. The, the students, it's different to the Lara car. It's, we're taking a radio control car, adapting it for, uh, for autonomy, and we're going to get kids uh, programming it uh, to establish that, you know, this is something that our, 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 our kids can actually program themselves. And that's going to be pretty exciting, I think, as well. Amazing stuff. Well, look, uh, Dr. Thomas McCarthy, official speaker of the Abu Dhabi Autonomous Racing League. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. And we haven't even scratched the surface, so I'm going to have to get you in again. And we're going to talk more about this as it develops, because it's just still for me to get my head around. Um, And I'm sure it is with a lot of people. But thanks so much for joining us. And up next, from one Thomas to another, we'll be joined by uh, Thomas Schultz, the General Manager of Gargash Enterprises. And we'll be talking about all things Mercedes-Benz. Thanks, Naz, for uh, for joining us. We'll we'll do this in a a couple more weeks' time. That'll be fantastic stuff. But don't go away. Motormania, we'll be right back straight after this. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Dubizzle. Connect with verified users on the UAE's favourite platform for your buying and selling needs. Welcome back. This is Damien Red. You're listening to Motormania. And I'm joined by Imtashan Giado of Motoring Middle East. And uh, we'd like to welcome into the studio Thomas Schultz. He is the general manager of Gargash Enterprises, the distributors of Mercedes-Benz in Dubai and the Northern Emirates. Thomas, welcome, firstly. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well, thanks. Uh, thanks for, for joining us in the studio. Now, we, we had some text messages. We'll go, I'll go straight off the back of that. People talking about, uh, we had one guy who had a, a, a GLE 43 AMG, beautiful condition, 30,000 kilometres uh, with all the PPF done on it, and he wants to trade up. And he says, I want to go into an electric car now. So he just went, I'm going to go into a Tesla. And I said, well, hold it, because Mercedes build electric cars, the EQ range. Um I've driven the EQS and I've driven the uh, EQE, fantastic vehicles. Uh, firstly, tell me about the, the range and, and how they're, they're settling into the market. Yeah, I was listening to uh, the caller earlier and I was like, oh yeah, that's uh, uh, that's the right <laughs> customer for the EQE SUV, which we just recently launched. So that would be the perfect car instead of uh, going for any other product. I mean, the customer is already driving a GLE and uh the EQE SUV is uh, really uh, probably the right car for him. Yeah. Staying on that high luxury level and uh, the level of sportiness that we have to offer. How has the uh, the adoption rate of of the EQ range been so far in 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 Dubai in your in your showroom in the Northern Emirates when so many people are so used to and I guess this is one of the, one of the, one of the great things I guess for 
legacy manufacturers over the years is that when you get an S-class buyer or an E-class buyer, they come in and say, just do it again, just do it again, or, or a G-Wagon or whatever it is. How do you now say to them, look, maybe have a look at this for the first time in 35 years? <laughs> yeah, the market is still in its infancy, um, but we start seeing more and more electric vehicles on the road. And uh, so also with Mercedes-Benz, we are ramping up uh, our product range, uh, our product portfolio. And uh, we're about to cover pretty much every segment now in the automotive uh, industry with electric vehicles. But yeah, at the moment, the adoption is still uh, in the low double-digit figures percentage-wise, but uh, growing, definitely growing. Yeah, Shen, you've spent a bit of time in the uh, the EQ cars. What what were your thoughts? I've driven the EQS and I was very impressed with how normal it felt like mm. a lot of the electric car companies are they coming but the chinese companies the teslas kind of sell themselves on how different they can be and let's have a funny steering wheel you know let's have no indicator let's have everything or mm. controlled by the dashboard mercedes on the hand is like it's a car it's a great car that's comfortable that's just electric and i like that about it. my adaption time from petrol to electric was zero Mm. That's what I liked about it. And that's a really good point. And I, and I brought that up too in the first hour about another manufacturer, about how um, uh, Polestar, you know, it, where it just, it didn't shout to the world, hey, I'm electric, let's do wild and wacky things and let's have a cutoff square steering wheel and let's have, you know, bright lights all over the place. I mean, it we're was all just... talking about Cybertruck, right? And that's like how flights are fancy yeah. in form. Yeah, and it just, it just felt like a nice Luxury vehicle, understated, very low on the on the badges. In fact, there was no badges anywhere saying it was electric or even the name because it's just it's just the, the the symbol. And that was the same feeling I got when I got into the EQE. Is that if you're familiar with the current range of Mercedes with the interior and and all the touch points, you slide into it and go, I know exactly what those switches do already. I know what's on the what's on the instrument panel. I know various things. If you're a Mercedes buyer going from one to another, it's like you're just stepping straight into. You're still at home, aren't you? Absolutely. I think uh, it it took me a day pretty much only to get used to the new car because, yeah, you're very much familiar with uh, the menus of the car and everything. It was just a driving style where I had to adopt a little bit because, for example, the acceleration of an electric vehicle, that's just amazing. And that's uh, that was, uh, well, not new to me because we have high end performance cars with our AMG range. But the acceleration of an electric vehicle is just on a different level. That took me a little while to get Can used to. Can I ask, to. Thomas, since you are the boss of Mercedes Gargash, what's in your driveway then? What's your company car? Well, I'm very privileged uh, working for Gargash and Mercedes-Benz. So, yeah, I'm driving an EQS 580, and it's just a beautiful and amazing car. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, right, I'm going I'm to uh, go straight to the boss and ask you straight out myself because there's been reports in, in, in other international magazines about the future of the C63 Mercedes saying that the, the combustion engine is going to stay. Other people saying, no, that was a misreport. What's, what's the information you've got so far? Is that going to be – sorry, not combustion engine, V8, V8, engine, V8 engine, or will you keep going down the current direction? What's, what's your take on that? All right, you mentioned the uh, C63. On the C63, it won't be a V8 engine anymore. It's going to be a four-cylinder engine um, uh, with, uh, in combination with an electric engine. But for now, the V8 might stay okay. in general in the product portfolio. We don't know how long. That's with the manufacturer. But uh, for the time being, it won't be discontinued. It is so, a great V8. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to ask you. I'm, I'm guessing it would probably be for – I can I think of two hero models straight up, and that's the AMG GT and the, uh, the, the G-Wagon are cars that are suited to that V8 kind of thing. 
the AMG GT is doing exceptionally well in, in, in motor racing as a result. You don't have to nod or shake your head, but that's just my, <laughs> just, that's just my thoughts at the moment. Definitely the G63, eh? because it's one of the best vehicles Mercedes ever made. Because it took what was a car that was basically from the past, which has been updated all the years, and the current one is one of the most complete SUVs I think you can buy. Which is mm. weird considering how expensive it is, but it's actually really good at doing everything. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, text message has come through here. No name on this one, but uh, still asking, when will the EV Smart 1 arrive? Is that something that's on the radar? Um, at the moment, we do not have a timeline yet for that. Yeah, it's a, it's a very Eurocentric car, isn't it? It's not exported to many countries at all outside of Europe. Correct, yeah. Yeah, interesting one. Um, also, I'd like to get your thoughts on news that came out this week in general about manufacturing in the region because the Lucid Group announced that they're going to begin manufacturing EVs in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Lucid Group announced that uh, they, they're going to produce the Lucid Air in, uh, in, in Saudi Arabia, 5,000 cars per annum to start with, looking at a complete manufacturing and assembly facilities, expected to produce up to 155,000 electric vehicles per year. Now, this is going to be their second plant because their first one is in the United States, in uh, Arizona. So this will be made for export markets. And uh, it's part of the Saudis' green initiative to ensure that 30% of new car sales in the kingdom will be electric by 2030. At the mo- now, it, it kind of makes sense that they'll get in that path because Saudi Arabia has just over 60% uh, ownership of the Lucid company. They've invested $1.8 billion back in May, and uh, and there's more to come as well. So uh, based on that, I mean, that that's that's big news for the region that they're starting manufacturing here, uh, but it goes along the, along the initiative of Saudi Arabia. 30% of electric vehicles by 2030, that's not too far away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's uh, pretty much around the corner. Yeah, it's it's not not far away at all. Um, but uh, it, I guess it shows that this is where the um, this is where the the market is kind of kind of generating. Yeah, and Dubai has a similar vision, right? Uh, Dubai is aiming for uh, having fifty percent of electric vehicles in the market on the road uh, by twenty fifty. That's a little bit more well further ahead, but uh, I think we're going to beat that. Mm, yeah. Do you see things like as the the automotive industry is is, is morphing massively right now into as electrification autonomous? We were just talking before about autonomy, but with that comes people sort of who want to cling to the past and say, right, I want to get a classic and I want to restore a classic. And you've got companies like Brabus who are now you know doing restorations of of uh, of classic Mercedes, get some amazing cars that are almost brand new. Um, what's your take on? Coming through Gargash, people who want to keep their older Mercedes on the road. How is that side of the thing going? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, we're still at the very beginning of that transition um, to electric vehicles. But yeah, of course, in the in the future, I think we're going to see that more and more people will uh, hang on to their car and want to keep it in a good shape. And uh, yeah, of course, we're ready for that. Mm. Yeah, uh, Shan, would you... You've had a bit to do with the old cars scene, but that's something you've seen as well, that the pe- more people are wanting to hang on to their, their older cars, perhaps as a, like a, a last piece before we all go electric. I think for the enthusiast collector, yes, there's a huge chunk of people who are looking to now move backwards a little bit. Look, you see it in the uptake of manual transmissions. Like manual transmissions have actually gone up by a percentage point this year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it just shows how much people are interested. But at the same time, there are people who need to get to work, who can't really spend time in a garage, you know. And for that, a new car makes a lot of sense. So I think you can't have one or the other. You need to. I'm one of the few people who runs a classic every day, which I would not recommend to the average person because it is a bit challenging. <laughs> 
tangent. But actually, Thomas... You're just I'm, going through a rough period. It's okay. It is a bit of a down period, but the graph will go up again. Thomas, I understand that Gergash does also take select restorations of classic Mercedes, don't they? Yes, they do. We do. Yes. So how does that work exactly? If a customer comes to you with a car... So it's basically something that you're looking at in the future. Yeah, well, we are doing restorations already at the moment, um, but um, as case, by uh, Damien, case, case by case. But as Damien said, this probably will grow in future. Mm, for sure. Stick around, Thomas. We've got more to talk about after this. Thomas Schultz, the uh, general manager of Gargash Enterprises, the distributor of Mercedes-Benz in Dubai and the Northern Emirates. This is Motormania. This is Motormania on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Dubizzle. Connect with verified users on the UAE's favourite platform for your buying and selling needs. Yes, welcome back. This is Motormania and you're joined by Inshan Jado in the studio of Motoring Middle East. And also we're joined by Thomas Schultz, the general manager of Gargash Enterprises, the distributor of Mercedes-Benz in Dubai and the Northern Emirates. So uh, if you do want to uh, text in any questions, send them to 4001 or WhatsApp us on 04871 Five double zero, and we'll uh, we'll do our best to uh, to answer the, your questions. Having an interesting chat about well, timing, electrification, uh, all sorts of things. Now, you, you mentioned there, Thomas, before an interesting one. You've, Maybach obviously is a, is is a, the absolute pinnacle uh, brand within the, the Mercedes Group. The SUV has gone well, and uh, you've got the the electric version coming early next year. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, beginning next year, we are going to launch the Mercedes Maybach EQS SUV that is going to be the most luxurious fully electric car in the market. Wow, fantastic. Um, curious to know, but people's take up towards Maybach is in an SUV format because traditionally it's been the, the saloon, the big, large luxury limousine kind of thing. Is that just a general thing now? People are just starting to go, okay, the SUV is, is the luxury version of a car that I want now. Well, actually, uh, both body types are very, very successful. Mm. It's um, On average, I think the global average uh, for the S-Class, for the limousine, is that every seventh Maybach, uh, every seventh S-Class is a Maybach. For us in the Middle East, it's every third or every, every really? third, every fourth. Okay. Yes. Um, but the same is also, the same holds true for the GLS. For the GLS, every fourth uh, GLS sold is a Maybach version. Really? Yeah. That would have to be one of the, we'd have to be one of the highest regions in the world for uh, for Maybach for surely. I think we'd have to be the country with the most Maybachs, yeah. which is a nice thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we do have one of the highest averages in the world. But what happens to the S class? You know, going forward, obviously you can't speak for Mercedes product, but do you see customers saying, you know what, I'm never going to buy another S class. I'm only going to buy SUVs because these new SUVs are so good for Mercedes. So do you think customers are just not going to buy S classes anymore? Or hard to say? I think that's very hard to say. Depends yeah. on the individual preference, of course. Mm. Yeah. I think it's just a general move. I think, yeah. Because I mean, you get that experience sitting up high. I mean, personally, I think I love the S-Class, but now I see the SUV is like two inches higher. I can see over everybody else. And I've got the three-pointed star if I had a Maybach at the I, end of the bonnet. I, 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 can see, I can see benefits. I can see points for both sides because uh, the SUV obviously gives you the, the practicality. It gives you the interior space and it gives you those things well. But then there's something quite... I don't know. I think I used the word before. There's something quite regal about driving a large saloon car. Because it goes the other way, doesn't it? It actually goes <laughs> yeah. the other way. If you look at heads of state wandering yeah. around, they're usually in a Mercedes SUV. They're usually in an S. It has to be an S-Class, right? And they're not driving the SUV. Nothing wrong with the SUVs, but I think there is something different about being different and being lower to the ground where people can see you as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, amazing. Now, of course, there's still interest in, in Mercedes right through the range that, that is uh, not just the, the electric vehicles. The combustion engine, the hybrid cars are doing are still very, very big movers on, on this one. Do you think that as we move towards sort of uh, uh, clean fuels as well, that that is something that, that would pe- make people want to sort of stay in a combustion car, combustion engine car for, for a little longer? If, you're, if, you're, if you have a car that's producing uh, carbon neutral fuels or effectively zero emissions, that would be something that would still tempt a lot of people, particularly in this region where fuel is still relatively cheap and getting access to, to electricity points still not quite there just yet. Well, this could be something for the future. And in uh, Europe, it's heavily debated whether to go with uh, clean fuels. Um, But then I think the European legislation is more going into fully electric rather than uh, continuing with combustion engines. So I think uh, here we don't know really in which direction we go. But yeah, this could be something for the region probably. Mm. But at the moment, uh, it's more the road to fully electric. Yeah, it does seem to be the path, right, Emerson? Definitely, definitely. I think with COP28 around the corner, we're going to see some significant announcements coming to push more people into electric cars, which is an idea that time has finally come anyway. Mm. And we're going to see more apartments with charging points. The infrastructure is going to arrive. And I think at some point, it's going to make more sense to have an electric car, especially with fast charging. I know Dave has worked on this, but the idea that you spend like a couple of hours charging your car is going to be anathema because it's going to be 15 minutes to get like 50, 60% of your charge. And that will change the game. Mm, yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, um, Gargash is, is synonymous with Mercedes in, in the region, Dubai, Northern Emirates, uh, Sharjah. Um, there's a lot of competition in the market from from other brands, that are, obviously the legacy brands that, that we all know, the, the BMWs, the Audis and et cetera, but also the new brands that are coming in as well. But the retention rate, just from anecdotal from what I see around, people who, as I said before, you know, a guy who's owned an S-Class for 20 years will just go back and get another one and get a, you know, and, and, and you keep that very high retention rate, probably better than anywhere, anywhere else in the world from, from a Mercedes perspective. What is it, in your opinion, that makes Mercedes-Benz different, that makes them want to come back and just keep going up to the next one? Yeah, I think it's uh, probably... A couple of things like, for example, the quality that Mercedes-Benz has, but it's not only the quality, what is setting us apart is uh, probably the level of luxury that we have in our vehicles. If we compare ourselves to other German manufacturers, for example, we're all on a pretty good level um, Mm. quality-wise and so on, and some stand a little bit more for tech, uh, some a little bit more for sportiness. But uh, for our customers, what they value, what they appreciate is the level of luxury that our products that Mercedes-Benz delivers. Mm. And do you think, based on your experience, that uh, the the demographic is a bit younger here? There's a, there's a there's a heavy emphasis on AMG here compared to more traditional parts of the world. Yeah, we also see that we have one of the highest uh, AMG shares from our sales portfolio uh, compared to the global average. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, AMG is definitely hot in the region, hot in our market. Always works, doesn't it? If you see that, uh, you see. Definitely, you, yeah. I mean, I, I would buy that AMG badge. Thomas, question on luxury. Can you talk about what are these customers looking for? What is the idea of modern luxury now for a modern customer, your target customer? Yeah, I think it's the quality of materials. It's uh, the design of the cars, uh, the spaciousness, um, the interior. Um, is technology playing a big part now? Technology is playing a part as well, but technology, um, I think, uh, yeah, is probably also matched by other um, manufacturers. 
But uh, it's the way uh, you integrate the technology, though, isn't it, into the overall experience? Yeah, and I think it is. You just mentioned experience. Experience. I think the experience with the car is uh, setting us apart, probably. Yeah, I, I guess that makes it harder for for luxury car manufacturers now to to sort. Of, I mean, when when I sort of started in this game and, and getting into it, you define all this back in the. Well, I'll tell you how long because back in the day we talked about luxury car being well, it's got power windows it's got power windows <laughs> you know oh, it's got central locking and it was fairly easy to define an elect- a luxury car from an average car but now every car is so well appointed whether it be at the budget end or to the top end so how how do you define luxury to someone who walks into a showroom and say i need to pay this much for this car because it's better in in what way how how, how can you sell luxury now in these days Well, I think at one stage, uh, it's the car itself. If you show the car, uh, the car speaks for itself already. Um, uh, And that, that I think, makes the most difference already. Mm. Yeah. I I guess the fact that the the brand's been around for 100 and, what, 20 years now? More than Uh, that. More than that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that helps a bit as well. Well, look, thank you so much, Thomas Schultz. Um, It's been great to have you in the studio. General Manager of Gargash Enterprises, distributors in the region for Mercedes-Benz in uh, Dubai and the Northern Emirates. Um, We look forward to getting down there and getting into a few more of those uh, EQ vehicles. And uh, to our texters who called in, thank you so much. We hope you've given us some advice. Also, in the first hour, we hope we answered some questions there. In the Shan, thanks so much for joining us again. Pleasure to be here. You'll be out getting on the tools and getting under the cars again. Or, or if you, is that done now? The I've tightened all the bolts. <laughs> I've spanned it up. Nothing's, I looked underneath and there was not a single drop. So, inshallah. Well done. Well, look, thanks so much for, for joining us again. And again, thank you, everyone, who called in and joined us. We're, we're going to do this again in two weeks' time. We'll be live again on October 14 at 10 a.m. For more Motormania, I'm Damien Reed. You're listening to Motormania Dubai Eye. 103.8. This is Motormania with Damien Reed on Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station.